Hi everyone, thanks for listening to The Offline Gamer. If you like what we do and would like to support us, then you can donate a few pounds to help us cover the costs of producing this show. It'll just cost you the price of a cup of coffee. You can do so by going to ko-fi.com forward slash podcast, which is ko-fi.com forward slash t-o-g-cast. ko-fi.com slash podcast. Hi everyone, Matt here. In this episode, we've got something a little bit different for you. Um, those of you who've been listening to us over the past few years will know that Ray and I have become fans of the comedian James Cook. After we first saw him performing his stand-up show, Always Be Rolling, at UK Games Expo 2015. Since then, he's performed other shows at the Expo, uh, namely Pandemic Live and Board Game Smackdown. And during lockdown, he's been keeping us entertained by streaming live episodes of Board Game Smackdown on his YouTube and Facebook pages as well as writing fun little emoji quizzes on his Twitter account to give us all something to do. I've been trying to get James on the show for a little while, but it's always been difficult for us to align our schedules. But given the current events going on in the world, I reached out to him again, and we were able to work out a time to have a chat, which is what you'll hear in this episode. If you want to find out more about James and his projects, then just visit his website at jamescookcomedian.com. And I'll put links to his YouTube channel, uh, his time-wasting emoji quiz book, and all of his other stuff on our website and in the show notes for this episode. So thanks again, James, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. It's really appreciated. And here we go. So I'm joined here by James Cook, comedian, podcaster, YouTuber, board gamer, and of course, 2015 UK Coxon champion. James, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hey, hey, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on, Matt. Appreciate it. That's all right, mate. No problem. Uh, first question we always ask our guests is, what is your gaming background? How did you first get into board games? Um, I mean, define, define board games. Do you mean well, like any time I've ever played board games? Because I used to play them as a kid, obviously. I used to play uh, Guess Who quite a lot. Um, I, had a, I had a Hero Quest set oh, I when had I was that, about yeah. 11 or 12 and no one to play it with, so that never got played. Yeah, I used to play all the old, uh, old favourites, all the old classics growing up and everything. When I was at university, uh, we used to play Scrabble a lot because uh, we were crazy party animals. <laughs> and uh, a mate of mine uh, was doing some intern work at the Independent, and he used to get sent um, – he used to have to do, like, uh, consumer reviews on behalf of one of the reporters. And one of the weeks it was board games, and they sent through, like, a load of random stuff for us to test, which if I can – I'm trying to remember what was in it. Um, the Star Wars – video play along board game you know when they used to have you used to have to play a, a vcr yeah video like there was the the klingon one and there was a atmosphere that kind of At, thing atmosphere was i suppose the most famous one of those but we had the one that was based on star wars and so the video was darth vader telling you to do stuff every now and again 
Uh, I remember that. And uh, one of the other ones, like, um, I can't remember if it was Dream Phone. It was something very similar to Dream Phone, where we all had to try and get a date with the best <laughs> the best jock at the American high school. Um, and then sort of after that, in my, in my 20s, uh, we used to play a lot of Perudo. And uh, it, I suppose Ingenious was the first modern in inverted commas board game that I got into. It was called uh, Mensa Connections at the time, uh, which they then changed because obviously that sounds elitist and shit. Um, <laughs> it just sounds like it's going to be too hard. Yeah. And, uh, and it isn't. We used to play that a lot. And then I got a Catan and, um, or Settlers of Catan as it, as it then was. And, uh, Ket laser chess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was 2013 was the first time I went to UK games expo where I went to, I went because I'd actually, I'd come up with an idea for a, a board game and that's where Playtest UK would let you just go and take your prototype and have people come and play it. So I took, that was the first time I ever went to, to expo was, uh, to do the playtest thing with my game, what I invented, which I was convinced was perfect and amazing. And as soon as anyone played it, they'd go, this is, this is as good as chess easily. Um, and like within half an hour of playtesting it, the people who playtested it had already come up with suggestions that made it loads better, mm. um, including, uh, Bez, you know, Bez, who invented, oh, I know um, Bez. Yeah. uh, Yogi and, um, or in a bind, immediately went, right, here's what's wrong with this game. <laughs> and kind of made that better. And then I spent the rest of the day just walking around going, what are all these games? I remember seeing the giant Pandemic and the giant Ticket to Ride sets. And just be going, what are these? Um, but I did pick up some games. I picked up Dixit, which I had, I'd played someone else's copy of. And at someone else's suggestion, I got Carcassonne that year. And then uh, within two months, I had about another dozen <laughs> board games. Yeah, I think I think that's how it just, happens to all of us, isn't just, it? We get in the hobby and then it's like every single thing, oh, this yeah, is new, this is right, new, this I'm, is new. Yeah, I'm getting Tickets to Ride, I'm getting Pandemic, I'm getting Forbidden Island, a bunch of other ones. And then this is my thing now, it's my new thing. And, uh, yeah, and that was, so that was 2013. So I then, over the next sort of two months, just got really into board gaming. And I started, I, I started going, I went to uh, a board game meetup in Birmingham and I got some friends to come play some games as well. And then I went to Edinburgh to do the fringe in the in a sketch troupe. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that worked was the first two weeks of Edinburgh, the ske- I was doing the sketch show. But then, because they all had normal jobs, they all had to go. And I had to fulfill the the booking in the venue for the last week, just on my own. Uh, so I spent the last week in Edinburgh just on my own, <laughs> with nothing to do in the day. Uh, and I was walking around a lot. And what they used to have... And they they sort of still do it, but they do it to a lesser extent now. Is uh, during the fringe, they will put the venue numbers 
they used to put them high up and prominent and large on the buildings. So you'd be walking around Edinburgh and there'd just be numbers on some of the buildings oh, okay. as yeah. the venue names. And just walking around, I went, it is like, this looks like Edinburgh is a giant board game. From that came the idea of, okay, next year's show is going to be uh, a, a show, it's going to be about board games. And it's going to be um, why all the board games pe- people have heard of are shit and why everyone should play these new ones instead. And that became a show called Always Be Rolling, which I took up to Edinburgh in 2014 to do a full full run. At, it was at lunchtime in a venue called Bar 50, which is part of the free festival. Mm-hmm. And this was... 2014, so daytime shows in Edinburgh still were quite the novelty for comedy. And, like, there were a few people who'd, like, do shows in the day, but everyone really wanted to do early evening and late night. But I I specifically wanted to do an early one, so I was on at lunchtime. And I remember doing the first performance at Edinburgh of the show was the audience were... Um, the woman I'd hired to fly her for me for the run, she came to see the show that day so that she knew what she was selling. Two of my flatmates from Edinburgh, a comedian called Eddie Who, who had just been hanging around outside, and I talked him into coming in, and um, a Canadian family, a mom, like a mom and dad and a son, who were just about to leave Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> they were like going to see my show and then they were going to the airport. So my audience for the first one was seven. Wow. And I just remember doing that show and thinking, oh God, what am I doing? What have I done? I've, you know, I've put a couple of, couple of thousand pounds into this run mm-hmm. thinking that people would want to come and see this show about board games. And here I am on day one and there's like no one here. And there were like interactive bits in the show and no one would do them. Like the only real people there were the Canadian family and they didn't want to do them. So I just basically, my two flatmates did the audience interaction bits with me <laughs> through the show. And, uh, and I got, I remember that night going, Oh Christ, this is going to be the longest month ever. And then the next day, because that was Thursday, and I remember specifically it was the 31st of July. And Edinburgh is traditionally an August thing. Yeah. But because of the way the dates were, they'd started on the 31st of July that year. And someone said, oh, don't worry about it. It's, they, it's still July. People don't, don't know, but I was panicking. And anyway, and then the Friday show came, and there was an audience. I don't it was many. It was like 20, 25, something like that. But an audience. So I was like, oh, okay. Might be all right then. And then the next day, the Saturday, it was full. And then the venue was, the venue held 60, I think. Um, And then the venue was pretty much full every day for the month. And a lot of days, particularly the weekends, I was turning people away and saying, oh, you've got to come back, you've got to come back tomorrow and everything. So just like my, my expectations are quite low for what I can realistically achieve. And it exceeded my pathetically low expectations. Uh, And I'd never had something like that go well before. I'd had things sort of go all right. And really, in the grand scheme of things, it only ever did all right. But 
the fact that the room was full and that you know it got nice reviews and sort of people people in the industry at my level sort of noticed that I was doing it. Um, I had um, a message from a TV company saying, um, "Can can I put some tickets aside for Richard Osmond and his family?" to come and see the show. And I was like, it's a free show. It's no, there aren't any tickets. It just has to <laughs> just show up. Or can you reserve some seats? I was like, yeah, right. Um, so that was nice, you know. And um, and I got to be on uh, Comedian's Countdown in Edinburgh, which is great fun. And I'm just like, oh, blimey, I feel like a proper comedian now. So then I became sort of the board game guy. Uh, and people would like comics would sort of ask me about, oh, you still playing them games, do you? you still do those games and everything. Um, and then I had a year off Edinburgh, and then the, the following year I did always be rolling again, um, and also I started a new show called Board Game Smackdown, which was the idea being comedians play board games on stage while an audience watches and wonders why they've decided to come and watch it. <laughs> uh, and the idea for that was basically I'd started watching like tabletop on YouTube. Yeah. And I, and I just gone, wouldn't it be great to do a sort of more broadly comic version of this <laughs> with, uh, with like the funny and smart people that I know from the circuit. Uh, so we did that in 2016 and uh, started off in a venue called, um, Dropkick Murphys, which is down a horrible alley uh, underneath a bridge in Edinburgh, and it was like a it was Irish theme pub, and was like the least appropriate venue for the show I was trying to do possible. Uh, and some of the shows went really, really well, and some of the shows went incredibly badly. But I didn't think they were our fault when they did. It was just like okay. people would just. There was no kind of door, so people would just wander in, like during the show. And for a lot of people in Edinburgh, that's their pub that they go to, and they they're just going to have a drink and everything. But some of the shows went really well. Do you find um, that the um, the success of the show is heavily influenced by the games that you choose, or do you think that with the right panel of, of guests they can make any game work well um it's a common it's a combination of the two things i mean we haven't even got to the success yet matt oh, okay. as far as we know <laughs> that, that was it and the show never ever happened again but no i bought the then i bought the show back in 2017 it, back in, in bar 50 which is a better venue for it and you know again it was like filling every day and then the year after was the year that it sort of really gelled we were in a venue called the pear tree which is a hundred capacity room and we were filling it and it was great. Um, and then the year after that, which was last year, we were in the biggest free festival venue, um, the counting house ballroom, which is 150 capacity. And we nearly filled it a couple of times, <laughs> but we didn't quite, we didn't quite get capacity on it, but we, we would get, between eighty and a hundred most days, and, and okay. the weekends we get very, very close. So it did, it did get more successful um, as a as a show at Edinburgh that people started to know. Oh, this is a show that happens at Edinburgh. It is 
it happens about lunchtime and it's comedians playing board games and every show is different. Um, but yeah, it's, you have to pick, you, you have to cast the panel and you have to uh, pick games that that idiot comedians can get their head around quickly. Because even if like you sent them a video in the days before of a game saying this is how how you play the game, please watch this video or you know read these basic rules. They won't. They won't do it. They will show up with five minutes to show and go. How do we play the game? Um, so you have to pick something that you can explain to them on stage, but also explain to the audience on stage and have it so that the audience know what's going on, particularly because we're such a, a low fi organization. There's yeah. no, uh, haven't, I mean, it's theoretically possible, but I just haven't been asked to invest the time or money into live broadcasting a tabletop um, via a big screen to the audience. So, We've never actually, in the Edinburgh show, used an actual board. If board game SmackDown, we've always kind of had to find the what is the fun element of the game that we're playing and distill that into a simple, accessible sort of round and then do it and, and have the audience uh, watch it and follow it. Um, and uh, you'd be amazed at what games work in that context. Like uh, The Mind... You wouldn't think that would work in front of an audience, but it's it's bizarrely compelling. And the only thing you have to do is you just have to say to the players, when you play the card, make sure you shout the number out nice and loud so that the audience know which numbers we're on. Because the majority of that game is waiting for people to play a card and the anticipation and the tension. And that's that just becomes funny. Because <laughs> it's like one of you's got to play a card, guys, and no one wants to be the one who f's it up. Uh, so that you know, games like that. Who knew that was going to work? That was kind of an experiment that I tried. Um, and then there are games that I thought would be amazing, and they, they, I don't know, maybe I just didn't work out to do them properly, and but they didn't quite work. So, like the games that work really well go into sort of a regular rotation. So. Uh, the mind is really good. Um, categories is really good. Uh, the resistance is great. My favorite shows of um, board games back down have been the resistance of the live ones. Um, what are the good ones? Uh, I'm looking at my board game collection there. Destination X, I think works really well. You basically, uh, do you know the game destination X? Oh, I don't actually. All right. So, uh, one of the players in board games back down, me, is the spy and I'm hiding in a country somewhere in the world and they have they the players have like cards that they can play that ask for certain pieces of information. So sometimes it's like geographical. So it'll be like, you know, what what uh how many land borders do you have? How you know what ocean are you near? What's your highest uh what what's the highest peak? And then some of it's like um, you know, what's the chief export or uh, one of them is which side of the road do you drive on? <laughs> like, because who's getting anything from that um, and stuff like that? Or yeah, they, they can ask, what's the first letter of the capital city? But they can only ask these questions like once during the whole game, um, and then they just have to through process of elimination work out which country I'm in. And you start in the in the real game. You start by drawing. There, there's a deck of cards with every country. In them, so it's like two hundred cards, 
uh, and you're supposed to have six, and then I choose one of the six to be in, and they eliminate the others. Uh, but when we play it on stage, I ask, I say to the audience, right, name some countries where I could be, and they always say the Federated States of Micronesia. They always say North Korea. <laughs> um, uh, Vanuatu comes up all the time, you know, uh, Lithuania. Anything that sounds a bit sort of obscure. <laughs> uh, Low-scoring answers on pointless, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all of them. <laughs> uh, the Central African Republic. Yeah. Um, and then what happens is that you, if they if they pick – I just go with the first six that they shout out, as long as they're not all too similar. And in the first round, if they've picked countries that are too difficult, the panel can't get it. And like the for the second round, the audience will sort of self-correct <laughs> – yeah. <laughs> and say Italy, China, America, and uh, or if it goes if it's the other way, they'll they'll self correct and say. And then it's it's really weird. Sometimes the audience will be on my team, and sometimes they'll be on the panel's team, <laughs> but but we can never work out why they choose. I yeah. never tell them whose side they are on. Uh, so sometimes they'll really help. Uh, the, the panelists, and sometimes they'll hinder them as much as possible, which to make it that's a really funny game to play. Uh, the insider is good. Anything with sort of there's a bit of a hidden, yeah, hidden role. They work really well. Fake artist is a good one. Um, yeah, and the, this is the ones that work go all right. We'll do that one again. You know, so last year in Edinburgh, um, it was just after just one, one. It's such a complicated sentence to say. It was just after just one. Just, no, it was just after just one won the Spiel des Jahres. Right. So I had a copy of just one. So we started playing just one. And that we managed to make that work really well by uh, drafting in two members of the audience to also suggest words and blindfolding the person who had to guess. Okay. Because in, in the real game, you just can't see... Yeah, the word, but uh, so it's things like that. You go, okay, so how can we make this more, more of a visual thing for the audience so they get what's going on? So we'd blindfold someone and we'd say the words out loud to them, and then they had just one guess. And again, su- you know, super tense but really funny. Uh, that was good. Team three, that's a really good one to do. Um, from last year, that was a, a new one that went into the the rotation. And yeah, and it's it's been great. I love doing it, and I wasn't going to Edinburgh anyway this year for reasons. And then obviously, no one's going to Edinburgh this year. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, what can I do? I, I've got you know, I used to be a comedian in the before times, and suddenly that wasn't a viable career anymore. Um, so I started uh, live streaming board game SmackDown shows over using sort of video conferencing software to to get the panel on screen and me on screen and then, uh, you know, talking through the games and getting them to play the games that way. So I started that at the end of March and we did two a week for about 11 or 12 weeks. I think, no, maybe 10, I don't know. It was like 20, I think we did 21 and then we had a month off, and now we've come back on Fridays. We just did the first one back last week where we played uh, medium, mm-hmm. um, and we go again 
at time of recording uh, this this Friday. Um, well, of course, the, the great thing is these they go on they're streamed live on Facebook and YouTube, and then they just go on YouTube forever, and they're just there now. So there's there's twenty odd episodes there for people to watch. Some of them are really good. Uh, Champion of the Wild that was a really good episode. Some of them didn't quite work, like Pandemic didn't quite work, and Forbidden Island, but more to do with the tech issues, which I'm hopefully hopefully are now sorted. Um, and in this new run, they're going to be a bit more adventurous with the games that we play in terms of playing stuff that's got a board and pieces and people having turns and making decisions, as, as well as the fun party games, which are sort of the backbone of of board games smackdown yeah is finding really fun party games because they are you know there's a lot of there's a lot of really good ones and they're ones that people can get easily and they are mostly designed to have some kind of performative element yeah as well how how do you get people involved is it generally just friends of friends or is there like a now in this current age is there like groups of comedians who are discussing things that they can do to you know get themselves uh, give themselves some work at the moment? yeah i mean there always been facebook groups uh comics facebook groups where we all sort of where people put uh tout for work and things um and i just i've always sort of put messages up there saying who wants to do it um and then I've also I've emailed everyone who's done who did the live show over the last two years, and said who wants to do it, and uh, got people that way. And generally speaking, comedians are bored at the moment and want something to do. And a lot of them like doing the show as well. They like playing the games, even if they're not some big board gamers. They like something a bit different, and they don't have to do their jokey jokes and their act or anything. They can just be them. I say to them, you know, don't try and force it to be funny. Just be yourself and have fun, and it will come across. And um, that that kind of works. So we've got some we've got some good uh, we've got some people coming up who've been on the telly. Ooh. I suppose so. Um, who's coming up? Paul Sinha off of the oh, Chase. Yeah. He's going to be on mm-hmm. the show in August. As is Alice Fraser, um, the Australian comedian who's got two. Amazon Prime specials. She's done the show in Edinburgh uh, a few times as well. Um, and uh, Laura Lex, off of uh, who's been on uh, Live at the Apollo, uh, she's coming back. She was in the first one we did on uh, on the live stream, and she's coming back um, in August as well. And I, she's a she's a board gamer as well, so you know we can play slightly more complicated games when we have the proper board game at playing comedians on. So Josh Howey, uh, Caroline Maybe, her board game playing comedians. Uh, oh yeah, Reese Morgan off of Morgan and West. He's a he's oh, yeah. a board gamer. Um, most of the noise next door are as well. Stuart Goldsmith is, but will he come on the show? No. So um, I have asked him. <laughs> I ask him every year. I think he's only done it once. And it was in the first year in Dropkick Murphys, and it wasn't very good. And I think that's put him off. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you, you know, it's a, it's a fun thing. I'm enjoying doing it, uh, and it sort of um, keeps me doing something that I enjoy. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm very lucky to have some people uh, like yourself, Matt, who support me doing it and uh, are basically paying for the show to continue, <laughs> uh, which is great. It's my uh, pleasure. Yeah. And, um, yeah, as, as, as long as there are people who will watch it, you know, I'll keep doing it. And even if there are people who aren't, I'll probably keep doing it anyway because I like it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's sort of the ongoing project. And I was going to do some more. I started doing a couple of sort of board game themed YouTube videos and uh, there's a few I've done. I did a version of the Edinburgh show yep. called always be rolling that's up, which is me in front of a PowerPoint presentation uh, doing that, doing parts of that show. And then I did a couple of others. I did a, a sort of quick roundup of some cheap games that I bought and I did, um, a video about how how to win at the board game pandemic, yeah. um, which because that was a show I've also done. I've also done Pandemic Live, uh, the board game pandemic as a live show. Started off as an experiment at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2014 in a time slot where we trashed the venue, and then the show ended when someone came in and went, "I've got this room booked. Can you get out?" <laughs> and that was how the show ended. And we had the idea because we couldn't, we didn't know how to live broadcast the board. So we had the board all set up on the table and the players around it. And then my mate, Paul Savage, the comedian, I gave him a map of the world and loads of post-it notes. And I was just <laughs> like, can you just sort of interpret what's happening there on the board? And it was just a big confusing mess. <laughs> but we had, it was silly though. Um, but then we did it. We did it at Midlands Arts Centre in 2015. Uh which uh, worked much better because we we got a video camera to live broadcast the board to a big screen, and it took three hours, but we lost. And then we did it at UK. We did it five times at UK Games Expo, uh, including once with Colin Baker off of Doctor Who. Oh yes, he made a big uh, stink about not being the medic, didn't he? Yeah. And uh, and him and John Robertson from the dark room just cheated, blatantly cheated <laughs> all the way through. But that was fine because they lost anyway. Um, and we did the the Museum of Childhood. We did it as part of that. They did a series of events based on board games, and they hired us to do Pandemic Live down there. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time we ever won, and we won it literally on the last move. Uh, just as the cards were running out. So again, that was a really long show. Um, And we've won it. I think we've won it once more um, at at Expo since then. So we have like- I was there for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My podcasting co-host was one of the uh, people who came up and uh, did the audience move. Yeah, the fourth player in the game is the audience. Uh, So we'd get like one person from the audience would come up and have the the fourth go after the panel had messed it up. Uh, but yeah, we just lose all the time. So I think we've got like a, a two wins, seven defeat record for playing Pandemic Live. To be fair though, I think most of those, you ask the audience what difficulty level to play and I'm guessing most of the time they do choose hard. They do. Or the Museum of Childhood, they chose medium. And I was like, who chooses medium? Um, but that that was one of the ones we won. But we have won it on heart. We won it on heart yeah. at, at Expo. Um, no one saw that coming. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. yeah, I've got a video on on my YouTube channel of you just uh, standing up saying, 
I've got no script for this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what we do. So, I, you know, I'd love to do Pandemic Live again. Yeah. If UK Games Expo are listening. If you're, if you're back next year, we'd love to do Pandemic Live again. We can do it for cheaper. Um, <laughs> and, well, let, let's, yeah. let's talk about your relationship with the Expo then. So the first time I encountered you was when you did Always Be Rolling at the 2015 Expo. How did that come about? Was it just a, a normal booking? or um, they, Richard and Tony go up to Edinburgh every year anyway because ah, okay. they're big comedy fans. Uh, and they were looking for people to do, who had sort of shows that they were thinking of doing live shows as part of the expo package. And they, so they saw my show and obviously the dark room. Yeah. Um, and so we were the first two always be rolling and the dark room were the first shows to be done at expo on into 2015. And they just, uh, we were in, we were in a 200 seat room and the tickets were like two quid on top of the, Mm-hmm. on top of the ticket price. So they just sold out like in minutes. <laughs> they just, yeah. And it was great. It's like, blimey, it's sold out. It's amazing. <laughs> it's because it's two quid. That's why. <laughs> um, so that was great. So did that in 2015. And then 20, they said, so in Edinburgh, they come, um, oh no, because I wasn't in Edinburgh that year. But they said, is there anything else you'd like to do? I said, well, I've got this thing. It was just like playing Pandemic Live. Can I try that? And they were like, yeah, fine, do that next year. So I was back doing that the next year. And then they were up in Edinburgh and I was, and we'd sort of meet up and they go, oh, who else does sort of loosely nerd culture-themed shows? So I put them onto um, Jolly Boat and Tom Crosby and um, Rick Carranza. And I think they they figured out Nightmare Life by themselves, to be honest, because uh, <laughs> that was a big thing. And then that kind of became the the people who did the live shows at Expo, and it became like its own separate thread um, in the hotels while the stuff was going on the NEC. Uh, yeah, and then I wasn't doing anything with them this year because we kind of agreed that Pandemic Live had sort of run its course after the third year of doing it. And I did a I did a board game SmackDown version of The Resistance and The Mind the year after and then that trail went kind of cold for me so yeah i was i was there for that and and i was surprised that it wasn't as well attended as as this stuff in the previous years yeah i think it was a slight because it's a bit more of a vague title yeah it works in edinburgh because it's different and it stands out board game smackdown stands out as a weird thing but at a board game convention it doesn't yeah um so Pandemic Live at a board game con- convention is a more of a, I think is more of a thing that makes sense. You could, people can instantly go, oh God, they're going to play Pandemic Live on stage. Okay. Whereas Board Games Smackdown is a bit vague in that context, um, even though we specified it was the resistance. So I think that's probably why. We were also up against uh, Shut Up and Sit Down doing their podcast. Ah, uh, yes. Um, which I I would argue that's exactly the same audience, and of course they're going to win that. Um, so because those guys are rock stars, they're expert. So yeah, uh, and yeah, it just it, it it did all right, but yeah, it wasn't a sellout. 
the nightmares I think sells out, and the late show dark rooms sell out. Yeah, and then and then most other stuff sort of does all right now because there's quite a lot of quite a lot of entertainment on at Expo, and also at Expo, people a lot of people just want to play the games, just want to go and play. Well, games. that's true. Yeah, play games and do shopping. That's what I want to do when I'm there. I would point out I have seen all of the shows that are on it. I'm <laughs> not <laughs> just being rude to them, um, those guys. But yeah, I, I've been trying to think. You know, is there like a something like Pandemic Live that we could do as, as a live show? And it's like, well, you need something where there's like a narrative that people can understand. Something that you can make visual. The great thing about yeah. Pandemic is it's such, it's such a overblown theme on the game the stakes are ridiculously high and you can be yeah. quite dramatic and stupid with it um because i did think it's about totally unrealistic as well i mean a virus taking over yeah. the world what's what's the chances of that happening well what's the chance of happening four times well that's at true. once um we have thought about doing i have thought about do, trying to do sort of like maybe forbidden island or something or but then, you know, what I'd want to do is I don't want to actually flood the room. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what's going to okay. happen. I think my ambition is to do more board games, Smackdowns, and do it online and then maybe go back to Edinburgh next year if Edinburgh's allowed. So there is one uh, specific aspect of Pandemic Live I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Uh, the concept of disease. Is it Dan? Yes. <laughs> How did that come about? Um, that was when in 2014, when I had the idea to do Pandemic Live, uh, and literally within a week, we put the show on after I had the idea. Um, there were a couple of things. So I, I contacted the free festival and said, are there any spots where someone's got a day off that I can jump in? Um, and we and we got a time and a, a venue. So I was like, okay, do that. I've got my copy of Pandemic Live. I'll buy a big wall map and get Savage to do something. Mm-hmm. I'll get some panellists. And I know I was doing a gig in Edinburgh, just a regular comedy gig, and I saw uh, avant-garde comedian Dan Nicholas, who I'd met a couple of times um, around uh, the circuit. Um, and I, always re- I always really liked him because he was sort of slightly offbeat and off the wall, but he was doing this act where it was just him in a pair of underpants wearing a a giant teddy bear head. Um, and it's just thinking, do. this is really funny. And this is exactly the kind of thing pandemic live needs. So I just said to him, I'm doing this thing next week. Could you, do you want to, could you come and do that? <laughs> it's part of it. And he was like, sure. Um, and so I had the idea then that he, he would appear anytime, anytime something bad happened to the team, he would appear. And so that meant he was the concept of disease. So his brief was, whenever there's an epidemic or an outbreak, just appear and do whatever you want, you know, and to improvise. Um, And so his role kind of developed from that. And what I do is I go at Poundland and I buy loads of like weird props and things. So I go to the, you know, Poundland toy department's always full of really shitty toys. Yeah, yeah. I buy a load of those and go to the crafting bit and get loads of glitter and things you can throw around and uh, silly string. And then I just, he'd show up and I'd show up with my box and I go, there you go. 
use whichever ones of these you want and do whatever you like. Um, and then that, so that's what he would do. <laughs> so I never knew what he was going to do either, which was, uh, which was a joy. And then sort of as the shows developed, he sort of developed certain little set piece things that he would do at certain times. Yeah. So he would, um, Oh, because we used to try and play like a piece of music as well whenever there was an outbreak. So we'd play like Breakout by the Foo Fighters and um, I Want to Break Free by um, by Queen, among others. And so I managed to get like um, a cheap, fancy dress, yellow leather, um, leather look, uh, Freddie Mercury costume jacket. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And an old carpet sweeper. So I said to him, when we play... <laughs> I want to break free. Put that on and come and sweep up like you're in there. I want to break free video. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. So that was like a funny thing that he'd do. And then he also do, he'd do a thing where he'd like kidnap people from the audience. Yeah, he tried to get me one, so I wasn't having any of it. But that's where he'd he, 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 he go and kidnap someone. Because his offstage bit, at Expo, his offstage bit was like a cupboard. <laughs> he would just be standing in a cupboard listening for his cue. And then he did this thing where he would kidnap someone during an outbreak or, or whatnot and take them away. <laughs> and we were like, I don't know what's going on there. And then, but the next time he'd come out, he'd like, he'd have dressed up the other person and the other person was like his minion. <laughs> now his like little helper. Um, and then I think some, sometimes he'd go back and sometimes he'd just let him be, let him be free. Sometimes he'd go, uh, Dan would go, just go sit in the audience <laughs> for a bit and be generally disruptive um, and annoying. And that, and that was, and you know, that was, that, I, that was the thing that sort of elevated that show above mildly amusing people playing a board game to here's the thing. Cause we, you know, we wouldn't say that that was going to happen in the show. We just, you know, the first time there's an outbreak or epidemic. Boom. There he was. Big shock. You know, man in a bear head and just his pants dancing <laughs> around. Music while it's happening. And then he goes away. Everyone's a bit shocked. And I go, the concept of disease, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. And that was great. I loved that. Yeah. I, I, I was there the first year. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> But even when you know to expect it, it's still funny. Yeah. And he was the only one of us who got a hotel room at Expo. Oh, really? <laughs> he was the, he was rock star. He'd take the hotel. And so he he's not really he's not a board gamer at all, but he would be there in the hotel during Expo. <laughs> hanging around. No one recognizes him though without the bare head. Yeah. <laughs> so he could be completely anonymous. I'd like to talk a couple of about before we finish up a couple of things that aren't board game related that you do. Okay, uh, I, I mentioned uh, at the start of the episode you were a podcaster as well as board game SmackDown uh, news with jokes. Yeah, we haven't done one for ages though, have no, we? No, we haven't done one since lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so news with jokes is a podcast where uh, myself and two other comedians, uh, Phil Padgett and Craig Dealey, we'd meet up usually in uh, my uh, kitchen, but sometimes in Craig's dining room. And uh, we'd have a pile of the day's newspapers and some grapes, and they'd have coffee, and I'd have peppermint tea. 
And we'd just sit there and we'd read bits of the newspapers out to each other and try and come up with jokes or just something funny to say about them and try and make each other laugh. And then we'd record for about an hour and a half of us doing that. And then I'd edit it down to about 20 minutes. <laughs> right, I didn't realise you'd recorded for that. You recorded yeah, for that long. We record, yeah. We're big. I'm a big fan of editing podcasts. Oh, yes, me uh, too. Get them, to, you know, get to the point. Because there were, when I started, when New York started, it was a completely different lineup. It was me, Andy White, and Gary Delaney. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, that was 10 or 11 years ago. And the idea of it came from listening to the podcast that was starting to come out at that time of comedians who'd just gone, hey, we're really funny. Let's just turn on the recorder and just like record us like talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, looking at Richard Herring and Andrew Collins mainly, where you'd listen to it and there'd be like 10 or 15 minutes of funny stuff in an hour and six minutes. Yeah. And you just go, God damn it, have some respect for the audience. <laughs> Edit the bloody thing down. Uh, and so news of jokes was we'll record for an hour, hour and a half, but then it's getting edited. So, but that also takes the pressure off the recording as well. Because if you say something and it doesn't work or doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't matter because it's not going to yeah. make it in. So we're, it frees us up to try things and, and it doesn't matter if it doesn't work or if we start and it's like, we've been recording for 20 minutes and nothing's really been funny yet it's like well it doesn't matter because we'll do another hour and and we do have a rule where we say look if nothing's funny we just won't put it out in our opinion obviously some people might listen to them and go none of it's funny <laughs> are you putting any of it out uh but we yeah so we've done that for years you know years now in this format for maybe five or six years i like to do more uh particularly because we just set up a, a, a ko-fi page for it yeah just before we stopped doing it for lockdown. So about 10 people bunged us three quid. And then we just, it's like we took the money and ran. We took the 30 quid and went, yeah, that'll do. We're finished. We're not, we're not finished. We'll, we'll be back, hopefully. Um, it's, it's when tricky. things have settled down a bit. Yeah, it's tricky though, because I, I, the three of us, I'm the one who's got kids and my kids are around all the time now yeah. at the moment. I mean, they're going back in September, so that's probably a sign that we'll start again in september um i you know i do enjoy it it is a ball ache editing it because i do try and edit it and get it up the same day um which can be a slog i know if i focus i can do it but getting me to focus on anything is impossible <laughs> i'm supposed to be ironing right now oh dear okay <laughs> i'll keep you too long then that's all right uh, lastly, then uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about that's not board game related is what you've been doing over lockdown on Twitter to keep people entertained. Your your fun little emoji quizzes. Yes, emoji quizzes. Uh, I didn't invent the format. Well, yes. Yeah. Point that out. It's basically you, you know it's like um, catchphrase or dingbats, but using emojis to and you say all right these are all films, and then you use the little emojis to make the title of the film, and people have to work out what the film is. Um, so I start. I did one. It was like the first week of lockdown and I was just like, oh, I can do this one. And it was, I remember specifically, it was uh, people who'd won best actor at the Oscars. Can you work out their names from the emojis? And I put it on the um, Facebook and Twitter 
And like loads of people on my Facebook started sort of playing and sort of making their guesses and everything. And um, Jason Manford very kindly retweeted it as well, huh? saying, "Oh, look at this! This will you know this will keep you occupied for a bit because this was the start of lockdown where no one was doing anything." Um, and then like the next day, I did sitcoms. And I think I did one a day for the rest of that week, and then I took the Sunday off, and then I started doing them again. I would do them Monday to Friday. I post up a new emoji quiz on some new category or maybe a category we've done before, but other, other ones from within it um, until I'd done 60. Um, and then I took those ones and I compiled it into a book, hey. which is now commercially available through Amazon on uh, Kindle and paperwork. I'm holding, I finally got my copy of it this week. Oh, you've got a copy. I've got the Kindle copy. So, Oh, I've got actual physical listen. That's it. So, so it's like a, it's a proper book that I'm like an author now. I don't know if it counts as an author, if it's like a puzzle book, which I've written. Um, so I've learned all about how to put things into book form and, uh, and how to use the, uh, how to use Amazon's self publishing facility, which is really straightforward. They make it really easy. Um, I suppose it's in their interest for it to be, uh, well, yeah. and uh, yeah. So I've sold a, I've sold a bunch of them, not many, and because of the nature of what it is, with all the pages having to be colour, I you know the production cost for each one is really high. It's like the stupidest business model ever. Um, but you know, I did it more of a, a fun thing to go. Well, I did it any. I had these things anyway, so here it is in a book, and yeah. people can. Combined, a bunch of people have bought them. People who um, who were doing playing along with the quizzes during lockdown and stuff, which is great, and uh, I'm delighted about all of that. Uh, and then the next book, oh, which I'm uh, supposed to be working on at the moment, um, is uh, well, the first part of it is loosely based on Always Be Rolling, um, but then it'll go off. After that, there'll be more. There'll be an expansion pack of that. So it'll be a book about board games um, with like little funny sort of reviews and opinions that I've got about various ones. Not just like the new new ones, but you know, Monopoly and Cluedo and Twister and Scrabble and Guess Who. Talking about those as well. Uh, they're they're positives and negatives. Uh, and the positives and negatives of, of, of the new games as well, in a book that is provisionally entitled 101 Board Games to Play Before You Dice. Oh, okay. I like it. My plan is to have that finished by the end of August. <laughs> Good luck with that. It's all right. I'm, I'm, you know, I've become obsessed with the word count rather than the quality of it at the moment. I'm in the, I'm in the stage of getting all the... You know, I've got a friend who's like a who's an author, like a proper one. In fact, I've got a couple of friends who are authors. But uh, one of the bits of advice he gave was: first thing is you do get everything down, even if it's crap, and then the second thing is go through it and make it good. So, I'm at the splurging part of that. I've just been writing about Carcassonne. I've been writing about my experience at the World Championship. Oh yeah. Um. It's mainly a book of me showing off. That's what it is. Just why I'm awesome by James Cook. 
Um, so yeah, my plan is to have that done by the end of August in some form and then get that up on Amazon for people to buy it if they want. It'll be paperback and Kindle, I should imagine. Yeah, that's my, that's my that's my plan. And then hopefully comedy might start as a thing again in the future. Well, that brings me on to the last thing I wanted to, uh, to talk about, which was, uh, I guess, for, for all of our listeners, you can let, let them know how uh, the current situation has affected, not just you, but comedians in general, and uh, how you people can support you. Uh, well, it's affected us because there's nothing for us to do. Um you know, I was a, a live club comic, a road comic, you know. Um, so I would be on the nights where you go because it's comedy night. You know, if you ever went to the the Glee Club in Birmingham or, yeah. you know, what used to be Jonglers or anything like that, those are the nights that I do or like um, nights at the cricket club or, or, or wherever. And I travel all around the country doing that and there were a couple of hundred of me as well and we're all now out of work so people are trying stuff outdoor gigs people are running some of those seeing if they work in you know pub pub gardens and things see if they work as a thing um i'm doing an outdoor festival i got my first sort of outdoor festival booking in a few weeks time and i see how that goes um, but there aren't enough of those to replace what was the comedy circuit which was big enough and diverse enough in this country to sustain easily a thousand comedians working and um and that's all gone um and there's no sign of it ever coming back soon so a lot of us don't know a lot of people have gone and got jobs um because the position i'm in i'm sort of living off my uh my rishi rubles and uh my wife has been, uh, I mean, she's on furlough, but it employed. Yeah. Uh, and we've got two kids who haven't been at school. So I haven't looked for another job. And I, so I've been, what I've been trying to do is trying to do comedy based creative stuff with that time. So doing the board games, Smackdown streams and doing the, the book. And now this new book as a way of trying to fill this time productively uh, so what, yeah, my side hustles were also to do with live comedy. So I was, um, you know, teaching uh, comedy courses uh, independently and for, um, you know, uh, um, the ultra organization. And obviously those, those have had to stop as well because they're physical workshops that end in a show. And I suppose I could do the workshops over Zoom, but, it's not it's not the same um the great thing about the sort of live streaming comedy shows that have been going on and there have been loads and some of them are really good um the good thing about them is that they're not as good as live shows so that they're not being seen as oh oh we'll do these now instead of live shows no yeah, yeah. It, they are not as good so it's like as soon as we can do live shows again and people feel safe and comfortable going out again I think comedy will come back, but no one knows how long that's going to take. And no one knows if they've got the patience to wait it out. So yes, it is a bit, it can, it is a bit, it's a bleak time uh, for club comics, but there are also opportunities there and we're all 
you know, people are trying stuff and putting it out there and hoping that this is the one that people will will go for. You know, so putting out a bit of the online content is like buying a lottery ticket. You go, I'll put this out there, and I hope this is the one that goes viral. <laughs> and it never, they, they don't. You know, I get about a hundred views for all the stuff I do yeah. so far. But you just you just hope that the Facebook algorithms aren't rigged so far against you <laughs> that people yeah. see that you're doing something. Yeah, and just just keep plugging away. Uh, but if, if people want to see the stuff, I, you know, search for Board Game Smackdown on YouTube and you'll find the, the videos there. There'll be links. I've got a Patreon uh, for people who are kind enough to sort of back me on a monthly basis. Then there's um, I've got a, a, a virtual tip jar for people who just want to do like a one-off. Uh, here's, here's a couple of quid, now go away type payment um, mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, very much like the free festival ethos which is the show is free and then if you like it you can you can sort of donate you know i like that as a as a principle i like the fact that there's nothing stopping people from watching the shows if they want to watch them uh regardless of how much money they they may or may not have but the, the flip side is you need the people who can afford to pay to sort of donate to to pay for everyone else uh, but it remains to be seen what happens. You know, who knows? Okay. Well, I'll put links to everything on our website for those people listening to this now. So if you want to find out more, just go there. Thank you, Matt. Okay, James. Well, thanks again for joining us. It was a real pleasure to talk to you and uh, get to know you a little bit better and uh, wish you all the best for the future. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt.